Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. Today we are going to continue this conversation we started last week, and we are talking about the arena of politics. So I'm glad you came back if you were here last week. Um, I'll be really honest with you. As we're in this like building campaign season, where are we going next? I had this like devil on my shoulder feeling of like, do we talk about it right now? Because what if I make them mad, right? What if it's like the big check writer people and I make them mad and they're gone and then like we got to figure out how to pay for the building? And these are things that run through the mind of a pastor sometimes. I'm like, no, it's right, right? It's right for us to talk about this, and it does impact our lives. So we're talking about politics. I am not going to tell you who to vote for, okay? I'm going to do my best to not reveal who I'm voting for or which side of the aisle I lean towards or whatever. And I said this last week, but the truth is if we sat down and we had coffee or we were talking about uh, politics or a question and, and you were like trying to source out like, man, what does this guy really believe? I have a feeling I would be too conservative for some of you in some arenas and I would likely be too progressive for others of you in other arenas because most of us are that way, I think, if we're honest. If you dig under the surface, we're not quite as extreme as they would have us believe, which we're gonna talk about that a little bit more anyway. But um, something I didn't acknowledge last week is that these messages that I'm sharing with you, they're actually based on a book and a teaching series that was done by Pastor Andy Stanley by the same name. And I wanted to share that with you uh, just in case you wanna take the conversation further. We're just doing this quick two weeks on it, uh, but there's a lot more content in this book called Not In It To Win It uh, by Andy Stanley. I thought about having Andy just teach it because the content is incredible. And uh, then I thought, man, with a subject as like, charged up as politics. It's probably better to see it with somebody with like a face that you know and a smile that you've seen before, I guess. So that's why you're stuck with me and not Andy. But if you want to take this further, that's a great book and a great resource to navigate this upcoming season. Uh, but as we are navigating another season of crazy, as we've been calling it, uh, and it's already kind of starting to ramp up, isn't it? Uh, we want to take these couple of weeks just to kind of prepare ourselves, uh, probably to remind a lot of you of things that you already know, things that we already do, but that it's easy to lose sight of as the world continues to get crazier and crazier, or for others of us, maybe this will be a new perspective on what it looks like to be faithful, specifically in this arena of like political activity and voting and how we treat one another and all of that. But what we're gonna do is specifically try and navigate our potential political differences together in a loving way. And I shared a lot of this last week, but a big part of what drove me to feel like, man, we've got to talk about this, uh, was my experience and probably your experience to some degree throughout those wonderful years of 2020 and 2021. And I'm not going to drag you through all the details again, okay, because we lived it and we keep talking about it. And it's like, oh my gosh, that again, can we just move forward? But uh, in 2020 and then especially into 2021, right, remember we were kind of exiting COVID or trying to reopen the world and uh, there was this political hoopla called an election that happened right at the end of 2020. And regardless of which side of the aisle you're on, it was a big one, right? Like there's uh, the whole inauguration thing and like, oh my gosh, it was so dramatic and so charged. And as I was sitting there and as I was watching these events unfold culturally, uh, to be honest, I was so disappointed in and so embarrassed by so many high profile, specifically Christian leaders and pastors and bloggers and nonprofit leaders and, and like just everyday Christians like you and me who all seem to join in with the unchristlike fray that was happening in our world culturally and politically at that moment. I, I was so disappointed, and to use a bigger word, I guess, I, I was grieved at times watching 
how very public leaders with very big platforms and a lot of influence about what people think of Christians, we're just getting sucked into the fray like everybody else. And name calling, right? Name calling and demonizing other groups of people, it seemed like for some of us became like a spiritual discipline where like the, the meaner we could be, it seemed like the holier we were. The, the better we got at putting them down, whoever they are for you, it seemed like the more we must like have the inside track to God or the more we must have it together. And, and often what happened is some of these individuals, they would take their political opinions or their political ide- ideologies, which is okay for you to have a political opinion and political ideology, by the way, I have my own, uh, but they would take those opinions and they would wrap them and chapter them and verse them and like bathe it in Bible stuff. So then it seemed like this is God's will right? And if somebody opposes it, you're actually opposing God or what's right in the world. And and it just got so crazy. And and here's the thing, political polarization, right? Pushing to the extremes. That's not new. We've had political polarization about as long as we've had a country, okay? Like that's just kind of the way that we do things here in America. So that's not necessarily new, but something that I think is new or at least newer in this current cultural moment that we're living in is that the messy middle, right? Where people just are kind of not as extreme or not as clear, this messy but productive middle, it seems like in recent years has all but disappeared. The, the space that we can live in where there's that tension, it's like all of us have felt pressured, I think, to move either farther right or farther left, depending on which side you're already at. It's like wherever you're at, there's this cultural pe- pressure to move a little farther and a little more extreme along the way, or else you'll get left behind. And if there's anything that Christians don't want, it's to be left behind. Some of you, you'll get it, like as we keep talking, right? you read all 14 books, Others of you, you were spared from that. But at any rate, uh, churches and church leaders, what seemed to happen throughout those years is they took their cue, or some of us, we took our cue from culture, from just the way that things were going, and we vacated that middle ground, and we started to do what everybody else was doing. And in some ways, it seemed to me like some of them forgot what it means to be Christian. They forgot what it means to actually be Christian, that their, their posture and their tone in no way actually reflected the posture and the tone and the approach of Jesus. We talked about that some last week, right? That, that we can differ, that we can have political opinions, but our posture and our tone and our approach has actually been prescribed to us from Jesus, from our Savior. And, and the reason we're talking about this is this political divide and, and this potential for political division, it, it's a big deal even in our church, okay? Like, believe it or not, in little old Story Church in little old Peru, Indiana, right? We are actually a politically diverse church. Now, I don't have like stats. I don't make you like check a box when you go to the green tent or anything like that. We don't make you be a card-carrying member of anything or anything like that. But like, I do follow you on Facebook, okay? And I know you personally. And and so I know that there are some people in our church, there's some people in the room right now, they're very conservative. And there's some people in the room right now, they're, they're more progressive, right? And so there's, there's this difference and there's this divide potentially between us. We're politically diverse and we don't all see things the same way and that's okay. In fact, I think that's a good thing because here's the reality, right? Disagreement between us, disagreement is unavoidable. If we're talking about politics in the truest sense, right? Not trying to get elected, but trying to solve problems, we're gonna have differing opinions about what it looks like to actually solve those problems. And so disagreement in that sense is unavoidable, but in this tension, this is where we live and where we work and where we worship and where we serve. In this tension, disagreement is unavoidable, but division is a choice. Disagreement is unavoidable, right? We're gonna have different perspectives because we have different experiences, but division is a choice. 
If you're married or if you've been in a long-term relationship at any point along the way, you've probably experienced this, right? Where disagreements happen along the way, eventually, right? Eventually you take off the pretty face and then the real you shows up and then the real them shows up and then all of a sudden there's real conflict happening between you. Disagreement is unavoidable, but if you've been in a lasting relationship, I would be willing to bet at some point you decided that division, dividing, was gonna be a choice you did not make. Right? You can have disagreements within your marriage, but divorce is not on the table for you two. Like, like that's a decision that you've made or chosen not to make. Maybe you've had disagreements, but you're like, you know what? We don't see eye to eye. We're going to work through it. We're going to figure it out. But this is not going to tear our family apart. Right? This isn't going to divide us. This isn't going to rip us apart. So disagreement is unavoidable, but division is always a choice. And many in our nation and even in our churches, unfortunately, in recent years, have chosen division. And just to be crystal clear, the goal of the church, the goal of this church, should never be to choose division. Should never be to choose division. Because that tension that I'm talking about, the tension between our disagreement, it's actually the space in which we can learn and grow the best. That tension is where we can actually learn more about one another and learn more about this world and how we can actually be healthy and love one another. Because in that tension, when we actually disagree with people, it's where you get close enough to go like, oh, I didn't know anybody actually thought that way, (laughs) right? Like, oh, oh, I didn't know anybody had actually experienced what you've experienced. Oh, I didn't know that anybody actually believed we should do that. And and if you get curious and if you lean in, then it can be the space where we actually gain empathy and and potentially even change our attitudes towards one another, adjust it and shift our thinking. We can gather new information if we're willing to lean in to the tension. And, And don't get me wrong, these moments are horribly disruptive for us. Because all of us, we like to have a neat and nice buttoned up worldview, right? We like to have the box that everything fits in and it's like we have our perspective on how the world works and some of it, like you're black and white thinkers and that's a beautiful thing, but it it can be like so rigid and like this is just the way that the world works and God's in there somehow and like when it's all neat and orderly, isn't it wonderful, right? It's like this is how things work. But then if you bump into somebody or somebody else's experience that doesn't fit in the box, it's horribly uncomfortable and it's horribly disruptive and it can just feel like that we're like, you know what? You make me uncomfortable, go away and I'm gonna keep my box, right? Like I'm gonna hold on to my neat and tidy world and my neat and tidy way of thinking and that's human nature. That's true for all of us. I don't care how conservative you are. I don't care how progressive you are. We all like to feel like our view on the world is buttoned up and is clear and when our worldview gets threatened, we naturally get defensive. When our worldview gets threatened, we tend to get defensive. And and so what I'm going to say next, uh, this may be like the most difficult thing for some of you uh, to accept or to believe today. And it's okay. As I say it, it's okay for any of this, by the way, for you to disagree and cross your arms and be like, I don't know about that kid, right? But like you can have a bad attitude, but I do want you to think about this later because I think if we could embrace this idea, this is a potential breakthrough idea for all of us or a breakthrough concept that might expand your horizons a little bit. Uh, And it's this, it's that believe it or not, political disagreements between us, political disagreement is usually fueled by divergent experiences, not low IQ. Okay, like uh, the political differences between us, the difference in perspective, they're often fueled by different experiences that we've had, not low IQ. And, And I know we don't like that, right? It's easier to just think they're dumb. Like, well, Democrats just aren't smart, and that's why they think the things that they do. Or Republicans, right? They don't get it. They don't understand. They don't care about people. Like, it, it's easier for us to go there, but the truth is uh, that 
typically our differing political opinions are the result of different experiences we've had in life. And, and by the way, the differing political experiences that we have or conclusions that we come to, they're also not a result of a lack of character. Okay, that's another favorite of ours. It's like they're just evil. The evil Republicans, like corrupt and controlling everything or, or the, the devil Demo Democrats. And, like you can even fit it in there, Democrats. It's like just right there on the tip of your tongue. Like, uh, but here's what, ha here's what happens. Okay, when we associate somebody's differing political uh, views with a low IQ or with a lack of character, what we're doing when we do that is we do unto others what we don't want them to do to us. Because we size them up and we write them off and we stereotype them, right? We, we make an assumption. It's like the second that we hear it, you're like, oh, you're a Democrat? Well, I know everything I need to know about you, right? You're, you're a Republican? Well, that tells me all I need to know, right? And we just write them off. We push them away. And, and so many of us, I mean, especially online, right, we're so guilty of having that knee-jerk reaction to them, whoever they are for you and whoever they are for me. And here's the thing, you're mature people, right? I know Story Church, you're made up of real, we're made up of really mature, thoughtful people. Mature, curious people don't go there. Okay, mature, curious people don't go there. Jesus followers don't go there because Jesus didn't go there. Jesus looked at your life and looked at my life, and he didn't size you up and write you off even though he could have, right? He, he looked at your life, he looked at my life, and he saw some stuff that was wrong. I don't know if it was low IQ or lack of character, but he saw some stuff, right? And, and he chose to love us anyway. There's a practice that's really essential to our faith. We don't like to talk about it because it feels tension-filled, but, but every time we confess, right? every time we acknowledge sin, if you want to use the big church word, or brokenness, or the stuff that's just not right in our hearts and in our world. Every time we confess our sin, God loves us anyway, right? God doesn't go, you're wrong, and write you off and cancel you. And then he calls us to do for others what he has done for us. He calls us to do for others what he's done for us. And, and this, it's kind of simple for us in terms of what it means to be a Christian, right? Like, it feels like Christianity 101, that God loves you even when you're a sinner, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and he welcomed us in and he forgave us. It's really simple, but it's not easy. Right? It's clear, but it's incredibly demanding if we choose that we want to be the people who live this out. And by the way, Jesus didn't just suggest this to us. This wasn't like if you want to be an extra nice Christian, love others the way that I've loved you. This was Jesus' command to his followers. This was Jesus' instruction. It's this mandate that prohibits us from going into that space that just writes other people off. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian or you don't know what you believe about the whole Jesus thing, you can knock yourself out, okay? Like demonize everybody, use whatever language you want, have a lot of fun, do whatever. But if you're here and you consider yourself a Christian, if you're trying to follow Jesus, Jesus addressed this dynamic. And here's what Jesus said that relates to all of us about all of us. Jesus had his closest followers together and he gave them this one new command. He said, love one another. And we've talked about this. Right? We've been talking about it throughout this series. It's kind of a central part to following Jesus and to who we are as a church. Jesus said, love one another. But for our purposes today, the implication on the other side could be even if you don't agree with one another. Right? Love one another even if you don't agree with one another. And Jesus' brand of love Jesus' brand of love, it wasn't just like in his head or it wasn't just this feeling that he had. 
It's not like, well, yeah, I love you as a human in the world. Like, I love you in theory out there. That's not how Jesus loved. Jesus' love was active, and it was external. Like, like you saw what his love looked like in action. And if you flip through the Gospels, the accounts of Jesus' life, and you look at how Jesus interacted with people, especially people who were dramatically different from him, what you'll discover is that the love of Jesus looks and acts and sounds like and reacts like Jesus. And that as you see Jesus acting and relating to people who are different than him, you'll discover that the love of Jesus is gracious and it is kind and it is patient and it's honest and sometimes it's direct, but it's always compassionate. And and Jesus' love, it's a type of love that leans in towards other people rather than pushing them away. That Jesus always leans in towards people and he doesn't push them away. Jesus would have the perspective that you don't have to agree with me in order for me to love you and for for me to serve you. That you don't have to agree with me for us to experience love together. And here's kind of the bottom line today. Again, it's simple, but it's so demanding. It's that we can disagree politically and love unconditionally. Those two things can and should exist at the same time. We can disagree politically and love unconditionally. And Jesus didn't just leave this in the realm of potential and possibility for us, by the way. As Jesus' followers, he said this is his law for us, that we are to love one another even when we disagree. And this idea goes back to what's called the law of Christ. And again, we've talked about this a lot because it's a big deal, it's a law. Like we should actually probably understand it. Uh, Jesus didn't have 10 of them, okay? He just said there's one law and his one command. He says, you and I, if we wanna follow him, that we are to love one another He said, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. In other words, Jesus has modeled for us what one another love actually looks like on display. And when Jesus said this, it was near the end of his life, his followers were gathered around the table. And like, as he said these words, you should love one another as I have loved you, so you should love one another. The number of differences around the table were extraordinary. Right? Jesus could have gone around the table and like, called them out one by one and be like, Matthew, right, Matthew, you remember where you were when I found you, when I called you out? Yeah, tax collector. Right? Remember that party that you threw? You invited me to it because you didn't really even know who I was and it was like, so weird and uncomfortable because I'm Jesus and your friends are your friends. And like, do you remember that? And I loved you in the midst of that. So as I've loved you, go love one another. Nathaniel, right? remember when we met? You made fun of my hometown, right? Nazareth. What good can come from Nazareth? Yeah, me. I came from Nazareth, okay? And I loved you anyway, right? And I followed you up to this point. So go love people the way that I love you. Peter, Peter, you have no idea what's about to happen, buddy, right? I've, I've loved you all along the way, but the worst is about to come tonight when I face the most difficult things and you deny me again and again and again. And guess what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna love you. I'm gonna love you on the other side of it. And I want you to love other people the same way that I'm gonna love you. Like the differences across the table were extraordinary. And, and he could have just gone around the room and like said, nope, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, see ya, and ascended, right? <laughs> but he didn't do that. Instead, he says, guys, this is what I'm calling you to do. Love one another. Not the way you've seen love happen in our culture. Not the way you've seen people treat one another. Not the way that you're even comfortable to love. But I want you to do for one another what I have done for you and what I'm about to do for all of you. God loved us and loves us, even though we were and even though we still are wrong about a lot of things. God loved us even when we were wrong. God loved you even when you were wrong about him. And think about it. I mean, we could phrase it in this way. 
You're not gonna like it, okay? But God loves you in spite of your misinformed, experience-based, evolving views. You're like, well, that's offensive, right? <laughs> like, I'm not misinformed, maybe not. Okay, but no matter what, experience-based, evolving views, you're like, my views don't evolve, I'm steady, at it. Like, I'm consistent, I know what I believe. Probably not, right? Because I would be willing to bet you don't believe the same things that you believed when you were 15. Right? At some point, your, your views expanded, hopefully. At some point, your views changed. You probably don't see the world the same way that you saw things when you were 25, unless you're 25, right? And if you're 25, you've got it all figured out and it's perfect, right? But then eventually you're gonna be 35 and you're gonna look at that box, right, that you've got and you're gonna be like, you know what, that wasn't as perfect as I thought it was. There's a few things I didn't know. And, and so you'll kind of adjust to you, like there's some problems. I'm not there yet, but I've heard that when you're like 55, you look at your 35 box and you're like, the whole box was wrong. <laughs> like I didn't know anything. I, that was, I'm, so, I'm so embarrassed, like mom, dad, I'm sorry, I didn't know, right? Our views evolve over time and that's natural, that's normal, that's a part of growing up, that's a part of maturing, right? God expects me to do the same for you and you to do the same for me as he did for us. It's to love one another even if we're wrong. To love and accept one another even in the midst of our misinformed experience based ever-evolving views. And by the way, he wants us to do this, not because it's nice, not, not because it's just a good idea, although it's both of those things, he wants us to do this because it's mission critical, because it's actually his entire mission on display for us to love one another the way that he loves us. Jesus said it like this, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Right? This is what's gonna compel a watching world. If you love one another, as I have loved you, if you love one another. It's not if you agree politically. It's not if you all just toe the line, then they'll understand that we're Christians. They'll know we're Christians by our voting record. No, by our love. If you love one another. And, and what that means is the more we disagree, the more notable and noticeable and noteworthy our love and our lives become. Because the bigger that gap is, right, the more likely it is that we're just gonna butt heads and fight and we choose to love in the face of that, the fact that we don't all agree is actually to our advantage. Because the more politically diverse we are, the harder it will be for us to love one another, and therefore the brighter our light will shine. I talked about this last week a little bit, right? That, that Paul actually instructed us that we should shine like stars in the sky. And if you've ever gone out to look at the stars, uh, maybe you live in town, right? There's street lights everywhere, there's traffic. If you look up, you'll see some stars late at night, but you won't see all of them. But if you go out, like out in the country where there's no highway and no big cities and you look up in the middle of nowhere, you'll see all of it. And it's amazing, it's breathtaking. It's the same stars, right? But they shine brighter in the darker place. The same thing should be true of us. That the greater the gap is between the things we believe, the more brightly our love can actually be put on display. Because getting along with people who are like you, that's not amazing. Right? It's expected. It's what we all drift towards these days. Getting along with people who already think like you, that's not really amazing. But loving and serving with and worshiping with people who are not like you and who don't share your views or who don't normally like people like you, that's amazing. Right? That's something that catches our attention. And here's how the Apostle Paul talked about it. He gave some instruction around what this looked like. He said, 
in Galatians, which is his oldest letter. So this is like some of the earliest stuff that the church was talking about and the church was navigating. Paul says, carry each other's burdens. And do you know why he said this? It's because when we carry one another's burden, it requires us to move in each other's direction. I can't get underneath the thing that you're carrying from a mile away. I've got to get close enough to you to understand it. And and when I do that, when I say, hey, I'm going to come alongside you, even if we disagree, even if we view things differently, and I'm going to try and carry the burdens that you have in life, guess what happens? Suddenly, we get a better understanding. We get a bigger picture of what it's like to actually carry that burden, of what it's like to live life in the way that they're living, and we get a better understanding maybe of where I sit and why I stand where I do. But more important than that, right, more important than the empathy or the learning that we can get along the way, Paul attached this one to something. It's the thing we've been talking about. He says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Thing we're talking about, right? Carry one another's burdens. Get close enough to have empathy and to have understanding and to actually walk with someone in the things that they carry in this life. And here's the point. It's that when we choose to carry someone's burden, what divides us diminishes and what unites us surfaces. I mean, isn't that true? If you've ever gone through something difficult with somebody, regardless of how well you knew them, right? Maybe close family members and you're going through something difficult. Maybe it's a loss in the family and and there's been that conflict between you and your family members for years, but then suddenly in the face of navigating something difficult, when you get under each other's burdens, all that conflict seemed to get this big for a little bit and what unites you suddenly is front and center. Uh, That when we actually choose to carry someone's burden, What divides us diminishes and what unites us surfaces because we fear less and we understand more. And sometimes we even change. Sometimes we even change our views. That's a thing we can do, by the way. And this is actually how the church began. And it's actually how the world was changed. And if those who came before us who were divided in ways that we couldn't possibly understand. I'm gonna try and help you in just a little bit, but if those who came before us in the church could find common ground at the cross to serve and forgive and love one another, then we have no excuse not to as well in our current cultural moment. In a culture in the first century that was divided by class and by wealth and by citizenship and by family and where people could actually purchase their way up the social ladder, In that context, the ecclesia, the church, the gathering of Jesus followers was disturbing and was unsettling. It it was so incredibly disruptive. And, And what happened is classes of people whose circles rarely overlapped actually came together voluntarily. Nobody forced them to. They came together voluntarily to worship their resurrected savior. People who were so extraordinarily different, people who who shouldn't get along came together and worshiped alongside one another voluntarily to their resurrected savior because they believed that the message of Jesus was actually good news for all people. Like good news for all people, even the people who disagree with us. And we can't imagine how countercultural these words that I'm about to read to you sounded in the first century as Paul was spelling out uh, what it looked like to actually follow Jesus. Again, in his oldest letter, some of the first writings ever given to the church, For us, these things that I'm about to share with you, they seem self-evident. Some of it's even like baked into some of the documents that formed our nation. These truths are self-evident, right? But in the first century, they were certainly not self-evident. And what Paul is about to say was so extraordinary to Roman Gentile Christians and to Jewish Christians who are trying to figure it out. Paul writes in Galatians and he says this, 
that there is neither Jew nor Gentile. We kind of gloss over that, right? We don't even talk in those terms anymore. But man, this conflict, this divide, this way that people chose to identify one another, this gap was so incredibly wide culturally and morally. I mean, Jewish people believed that everybody else was unclean and didn't have the pathway to God, right? And, so, and then Gentiles were like, what are all these rules and like regulations? And it, it's just all this conflict. It, it was so bad that about 20 years after the resurrection, it almost blew up the church. In fact, if you read through the book of Acts, there's all this discussion uh, between formerly Jewish, now Christian leaders like some of the guys we were talking about earlier, and they're debating back and forth, and they're trying to figure out, like, what do we do with these Gentile Christians? They, they say they follow Jesus, and it seems genuine, but they're not following the Jewish law, so, like, how do we reconcile all of this? And it was such a huge deal. It almost stopped the church right out of the gate, and what it required was extraordinarily patience and compromise from both sides. Paul says there's no longer Jew nor Gentile, and, and that may not be a huge deal to you, but he keeps going. He says, neither is there slave or free. Again, we take it for granted, right? We're like, of course not. Like, we're talking about church. We're talking about following Jesus. Of course, there's no slave or free, but the entire economy and every religion that every person who is reading this letter for the first time had ever experienced was based on the idea that some people were born as slaves and some people were born as owners. That was just the way the world worked. That, that was the assumption that was made. And, and Paul, writing them, says there is neither slave nor free. And so they're reading this and they're like, wait, wait, wait. God doesn't view owners any different than those who are owned? Are you serious? Like, God favors slave and free equally? If that ever catches on, that's going to be the end of slavery. Right? And it was. It was. In, in fact, in our world today, in any nation where Christianity has had influence, regardless of the amount of influence it still has today, in any nation where Christianity had influence, slavery was eventually outlawed. And the places in the world today where you can find slavery alive and well, it's where Christianity hasn't been influential because it, it just comes with it. The liberating gospel of Jesus has cultural implications and they're implications that don't get voted in and they don't get powered up and they get raised up. Instead, they're lived out by people actually following Jesus. And eventually people discover that it's true, that it's good, that it's better. And we take it for granted now. He keeps going. He says, nor is there male and female. And especially the men, right? They would have been reading this like, whoa, 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 hang on. I can give you the Jew and Gentile thing. That's fine. I don't even get all the laws anyway. It, take it, right? And okay, slave and free, I get it. It makes sense. Like we'll have to make some changes, but, but men and women? Equal? That you're, Paul, you're telling me that there is no distinction between the value of women and men? That, that, that there's not a hierarchy? That like, I mean, if the women hear this, and they did, right? They, they heard it, and women flocked to the church. Women flocked to the movement of Jesus because Jesus elevated their status and elevated the dignity or, or called attention to the dignity of men and women as equals time and time again, and the church was known for it. And it's extraordinary. It changed our world as these new ideas were introduced about what it looked like to love one another in the face of our differences, in the face of our divisions. Paul says there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You're all one. There's no distinction in the kingdom of God that you 
all have equal dignity and you all have equal worth, regardless of like your group that you assign yourself to, regardless uh, of your economic status, regardless of your gender, like equal dignity and equal worth. And it was so disruptive. Right? Again, if this way of thinking caught on, I mean, the whole empire would unravel, right? The, the Roman Empire, the, and it did. It did. It caught on just like Jesus predicted that it would because of people who actually lived out his teachings, people who, ha- who actually lived out this radical way of loving one another. The culturally disruptive unity of the first century church shocked the world. And I think a little bit of culturally disruptive unity is exactly what we need in our moment as well. Their message and their unity eventually changed the world, not because of who they voted in. Okay, like there's some power dynamics that came at play and arguably it all got kind of sideways at that point, but that's a different topic for a different day. In our day, we risk being divided over such a wide range of issues, right? It's easier than ever to find somebody to disagree with over something. And listen, you may never understand how another Christian could possibly be for what you're against or be against what you're for. I mean, I have some of this, and I won't tell you what it is, but like, you may never understand how somebody could say, I follow Jesus and come to the conclusion that they come to. And it's doubtful that you'll change your view or that they will change theirs, making it all messy and hard. But that is what makes it noticeable and notable when we choose to love one another anyway. So let's not distance ourselves from believers that we disagree with, because in Jesus' words, he says, "If if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? He says in Matthew, if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? That's what everybody else does. And that's why our nation is so divided because this is where you raise money. (laughs) This is is where you get votes. This is how you actually play the game and you get in the system. It all happens at the extremes. And that's why you see both sides every time. It's fear, 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 fear. And like, we gotta power up. We gotta win. We gotta beat them. And and like right at the 11th hour, it's like, they're gonna win. We gotta do it. And then what do you know? We pulled through and and then we do it again. Then we do it again because that's how the system is made to work. But Jesus has invited us to not fall for that. Jesus has invited us to do something extraordinary and something amazing. He's invited us to do what the early church did, which changed the world for slaves and free people and men and women and Jews and Gentiles and Democrats and Republicans. Here's what I'm asking for us. Here's what I'm trying to call us to. Let's not be Democrats. Let's not be Republicans. Let's not be independents or whatever you want to what if we chose to be Christian? Like, like what if we first and foremost decided we're gonna be partisans of a king and a kingdom that established this upside down, others first, back of the line way of living? A, a way of life that is fueled by this single and forever relevant command to love one another the way that God through Christ loves us. That, that in every interaction, that in every encounter with every person that we ever meet, all we have to do is answer the question, what does love require of me right now? What does love require of me? And don't get me wrong, right? It's simple. We're supposed to love as he loved us. It's simple, but it is so demanding. 
and it can be so complicated to actually be committed to living this out. But the power of it is that Jesus' new covenant command to love one another the way God through Christ loved us, it actually can be the bridge between our differences. It, it can be the thing that, that creates unity among us. It's the bridge between our different backgrounds and our different life experiences. It's our, the bridge between our disagreement towards the solutions of the problems of our day. Because here's the thing, we all agree that what's best for people is what's best, right? We, we can all like, agree on that one. What's best for people is what's best. The thing we disagree on is what's best for people, and that's okay. But, but this love one another approach, it can be the bridge that helps us actually have the unity that Jesus wanted us to have. So like what would happen if the followers of Jesus, just in Peru, like forget about the nation, don't forget about the nation, we'll try, right? But right here, right now, right? Peru, Indiana. What if the followers of Jesus here just decided to be Christians and decided to adopt the posture and the mindset and the attitude and the approach of our Savior and our King that we can love people who are hard for us to love because you're hard to love and God loved you anyway because right? I'm hard to love and God chose to love me anyway. That, that you can disagree with me and you can still carry my burden and I can still carry yours. I think we have an unprecedented opportunity in front of us and we can't miss it again. Right? We have an unprecedented opportunity, so let's get it right. And the next time you bump into somebody, especially if they're a part of our church, okay? next time you bump into somebody and you're like, I can't believe they think, like they voted for who? or like They think what? Instead of all the outrage and instead of all the canceling and all, what if you just thought, man, I love our church. Right? I, I love my church because there's room for them too here. right? Because they can be as wrong as they are and still be as loved as I am. Let's be quick to listen and slow to speak and let's not keep our distance. Let's be kind to one another and let's be willing to call out unkindness where we see it, not join in on it. Let's be willing to call out dishonesty, especially when it's undermining someone's dignity. And let's live and love and lead in such a way that the ecclesia of Jesus right here in Peru, the church, we might actually regain the moral high ground and we might actually have the opportunity to serve as the conscience of our nation once again if they look to our example and they're compelled by the way that we choose to love one another, if we choose to do what's just instead of what we can justify, if we choose to do what's responsible instead of what's permissible, and we do what's moral, not what's modeled, right? I mean, it, it could change everything. And I, I don't want us to settle for law-abiding citizens or even patriotic Americans. Those aren't bad things. But let's be better than that. Let's be Jesus followers. As Paul said, we read last week, what if we do everything without grumbling or arguing so that we may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation? Then we'll shine among them like stars in the sky. What if we fix our eyes and our lives on Jesus who didn't come to be served, but who came to serve? Or as Paul wrote elsewhere, that Jesus being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Jesus invites all of us to give up our independence. I know that doesn't sound very American, right? But to give up our dependence and take up our cross and to follow him. And that's a win for the church and it's a win for our nation. And if Jesus was right, that's actually what's gonna be celebrated when the clock runs out for all of us. That all this other stuff, it's gonna go away, but how well we love one another is the stuff that's actually gonna matter. So let's do it, right? As the crazy ramps up, let's be the church. 
Let's be Christian. Let me pray for you. God, as always, this is easy to talk about. It's even maybe easy to agree with, but it is so difficult to actually live out. It is so difficult to actually do. So God, I pray that this would hit each of us exactly where it needs to. That as the crazy ramps up around us and as we see division being driven further and further and further between us, God, let it not be among us. Let us be radical in the way that we love one another in the face of our differences, despite our differences, despite our disagreements. God, let us understand that we can disagree politically and still love unconditionally. And God, may we do this so well that a watching world takes notice that a watching world sees us living differently and says, you know what, I want some of that. You know what, that actually is a better way. You know what, that's actually the way things are meant to be. God, let it be so in our lives, and again, give us clarity and courage to do what you're calling us to do this season. We pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.